I hear two. I hear two. Can I hear three? All right. That's good enough. All right. As the children go back, we've been talking about the allegory of, a, of the building of a house compared to the building of a Christian life and of a Christian family. I, I plan to have this theme all the way up uh, until we have family camp and uh, just asking for the Lord's guidance as we go through this. And, uh, <clears throat> and I want to encourage us in, uh, in our personal life, and, but also with raising our families. <clears throat> you know, it all begins with the inheritance of a piece of land, a piece of spiritual land. Now, Paul spoke of this inheritance when he was giving his testimony to King Agrippa as he stated God's calling in his life. <clears throat> Excuse me. In Acts 26, 18, <clears throat> he says, here's his calling, to open their eyes, talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. That's, you know, that's hard for us to take. I'm talking now, our keepers of the kingdom, it just flatly states... You're born into the power of Satan, into his kingdom. That's hard for us to take, to understand that. He said, And from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. That's Jesus speaking there. You know, we receive God's inheritance when we turn from the bondage of Satan's power and trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Ephesians 1.10 says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. It starts there. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed in it. It says ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. We know we have that inheritance by the Spirit of God living in us until the redemption of the purchased possession unto what? The praise of His glory. You know, we think in our earthly minds, and this kind of is, this is kind of interesting, I heard Brother Mike talking about some things he kind of touched in this area. So... I'm gonna, you're going to hear some similar things here. You know, we think in our earthly minds that when we, you know, our parents pass away, and I hope don't get whacked out about it, it, it happens, okay? Imagine somebody else's parents in some other family, if you like. We stand in the lawyer's office to receive an inheritance. In those cases, there's a lump sum of what's left behind called the estate. To be divided among the heirs, whoever those are indicated, each heir gets a portion of that estate as prescribed by the will. 
Okay? We think in these terms. But in the inheritance for those who have trusted Christ, there is a different inheritance and different and a different dis, um, there's a different inheritance and a different type of distribution. To understand this, you must understand that God's inheritance. You may not have thought about it, but I'm telling you, you're going to have to start thinking about this, folks. You're going to have to start thinking about who God is before you can figure out what God is saying in His Word. You have to. God's inheritance is immeasurable. It can't be measured. It is eternal. It can't deplete. It is totality that can't be divided. Therefore, it's accessible, available, and boundless to the heirs. <laughs> we think, now I'll just give you an example. When my parents died, when my dad died, there was the golf clubs, and so my brothers wanted me to have the golf clubs. In heaven, God has everything. You, you know what I mean? And you say, well, God has, I'm just making this up, uh, a Lamborghini. You know, and when I get up there, I'm going to get the Lamborghini. <laughs> well, he can make a Lamborghini. Everybody can have a Lamborghini. I want you to understand the difference of this, this type of inheritance and who God really is. His inheritance is boundless. This brings us into the light of the glorious thought of the inheritance of Christ in Romans 8.14. This will help you to understand this a little bit because it's kind of in the flesh. It's kind of hard to conceive. But when you think about inheritance and what God has, it says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. There it is again. If you have the Spirit of God, you are a child of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage, that was the old spirit, again, to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. It says, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. Daddy, Father. We have that type of relationship. It's not God hearing you. We become, this is hard to understand, we become a child of God. We have a daddy. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and listen to this, joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. You know, in our earthly mind, we think in definitive measures. We would think that, wouldn't, you know, we think that, wouldn't Jesus receive more than us? Why, how, how could we? Be up there with Jesus and, and receiving the hands, joint heirs with the Christ. Well, think about what it is. How can it be anything else in God's perspective? Because He owns everything, He has everything. It's immeasurable. It's, it can't deplete, it can't be measured. Now, hey, I hope you get excited about what's laid up ahead because it's going to pay. You've got to get a hold of this stuff to understand how we need to handle things. In this world. <clears throat> so then, therefore, every born-again believer inherits it all. We all get it all. There's a certain inheritance 
that the Bible talks about that's laid, that's laid ahead for us, that's waiting for us. For those who have trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God of our Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. And listen, this is the difference of His inheritance. Because the inheritance here, <laughs> if you ever get into it, I had a good family, but most families argue and bicker and want. And, but this is an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. But included with certain future inheritance, there is presently free, listen to this, folks. I, I, I haven't got a hold of this. I need to get a hold of this better. There's free, measureless access to the riches of God to do His will in this earthly life. When we understand these things, we know that we can ask anything in His name and He will give it to us. Whatever we need to do the work of God is available by the asking. John 14, 12 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these. I'm telling you, this one's hard. How can I do greater? But we're supposed to do greater works than what Jesus did. He says, because I go unto my Father, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be what? Here's the whole purpose. I've been hitting this, hitting this, hitting this, hitting this. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Anything, you can ask anything if it's going to glorify the Father in the Son. And he's going to give it to you. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Just want to make sure that you understand that the spiritual ground for your life and life eternal cannot be bought. Only inherited. And only inherited if you are a born again believer, a child of God. There was someone in the Bible who thought they could buy God's gift, Acts 8, 18. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Nothing we can, God just gives it to us freely. There was also someone who understood the inheritance concept of God and asked for more and received it. Right in the middle of a genealogy, it feels like God just like cut the scriptures, spliced in two verses, then sewed it back up. And because of this, and knowing God makes no mistakes, it brings a high importance to me of why, what in the world were these two verses put in here. Because if you read in 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and you start reading, it's genealogies. And so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and this happened, and this happened. And it goes down, and it's really just genealogies. It gets down to verse 8, and it said, And cause begot Anub and Zobibah and the families of Rahel, the son of Haram. You know, it's just, and then all of a sudden, cut. 
And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the name of God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, that thine hand might be with me, and thou, thou wouldst keep me from evil, and that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. Verse 11. And Shelob, the brother of Shua, begot Meher, which was the father of Ishtan. And it goes on and down. A most unusual thing. Jabez asked for more spiritual land. This is what I see. We know it was spiritual because he asked for God's help in it, and we know that God's going to grant it. He's not, God doesn't get on our will. He gets in His will. He also knew that having more can lead to more trouble in life. So he asked that this thing that God will give him, this extra, would not grieve him. Many people are grieved with riches. That'll drag you down. You'll lose life in it. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord and maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. You know, we should learn from this and seek the largest spiritual blessings that we can joyfully handle for the glory of God. You know, as saved people, we have new inherited eternal ground to build on. We dig deep. We set our foundation upon a rock, which we talked about, the Lord Jesus Christ. We build foundational walls of protection and security upon the Word of God for our family. Those foundational walls are built with a network of doctrinal rebar with an unshakable external wall of truth to protect our family. We line the eternal walls with good examples of influence for our children. We provide love and nurture as well as admonition. We have a playroom for observation of the gifts of, of God and the individuality and the wonder of each child that is to be raised for the glory of God. And there's some the people who say amen the most are probably grandmas and grandpas, man. We just, you know, you guys deal with it. We just see this wonder of these kids. Last week, we reviewed the aspect of respect that should be in every room of the Christian home. Today, I want to focus on one of the three common floors of the house. I'm kind of breaking it up into three basic areas, three floors. There, You have the basement, you have a main floor, and you have the attic. Now, our Christian lives should have a basement of deep-set beliefs, and our attic should represent a place of close fellowship with God. But I want to talk today about the main floor of the house where our outward life takes place. It's the day in, day out, everyday life, the place we live in. It is the physical, the observable part of our life. It's the main floor of the building. Now, if we are to have success in the Christian life, we need to have a certain understanding and resolve. And that understanding and resolve revolves around the area of contentment. The title of today's message is A Life and Home of Contentment. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord God, asking that you would speak in a mighty way to our hearts and lives, make it real, make it something that we know is true and that we want to follow. It's for our good. That's all you have is good for us. And so, Father, I just pray you'd work mightily in this message. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Yeah, there's a saying. Early to bed. This is going to make some, some of you cringe. Early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. <laughs> Though this saying is commonly, it's commonly attributed to Ben Franklin. But the earliest written origination of it came from a, a book, a, a, a Proverbs-type book. I won't give you the Latin name of it, but was written by John Clark in, 19, or in 1639. I, I wrote 1939, but that was all right. <laughs> now, John Clark was a physician, a Baptist minister, co-founder of the colony of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations, author of its influential character, and a leading advocate of religious freedom in America. He's quite the man. We owe a lot to his stand and what he had to go through for the freedom that we have. I'm appalled at our nation and how it's thinking of getting rid of the Constitution and what this country was built on. We need to fight for it, folks. But this afternoon, I want to suggest that there's a deeper root to being healthy, wealthy, and wise. I believe that true health and wealth and wisdom has a root system, an easily disrupted root system, called content contentment. 1 Timothy 6.5 I'm kind of jumping in the middle of this and sometimes I tell you I get in and I see a verse and I, I always go in and I like, kind of look at the context and man you want to just put the whole thing in there so I kind of cut this where it seemed reasonable. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth supposing that gain is godliness. Listen to this. From such, withdraw thyself. From such, withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Do you believe the Bible or not? For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Now I'm going to bring this message with a traditional three-point outline. Make it easy on you. Sometimes I don't do that. Sometimes I just ramble and some kind of subject there. You've got to figure it out. This one ought to be easy. Point number one, contentment brings good health. Point number two, contentment leads to wealth. Point number three, contentment leads to wisdom. Point number one, contentment brings good health. You know, there's perhaps no better place to study the effects of contentment or the effects of discontentment than the Hebrews in the wilderness after the Exodus. God brought the people through a desert to prove them. To me, I view this as a time of minimal physical sustenance, just the bare minimum, but it was the maximum spiritual revelation. I mean, what they saw, I don't think compares to anything. I mean, I, we can compare it to Christ, but when you look at the time frame and the amount of things and the revelation of God, what he did, it's, it's up there. 
It was a time when the things of life were brought to the least, but the glory of God was put at its peak. Would the children of Israel be content with such little things as food and clothing? Listen to this song here, because you've got to answer this. It's a question for you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. No, as a whole, that first generation, <laughs> they did just the opposite. They looked back at the things and they got away from God. They became discontent. They were known as complainers. And let's look at what happened to their health. Exodus 15.22 says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. This is right after they had their party, after everybody was, all the Egyptians were drowned. And they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Merah, they could not drink of the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Merah. And the people murmured against Moses. Man, poor Moses. Saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And said, If... Thou will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put, and this is interesting wording. This is like these words that I keep, keep in my mind and meditate upon. I will put none of these, he says, diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that, listen to this, oh, this is a good word. I don't know that I have it fully. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Health. They murmured about water. They murmured about having food. They murmured about the food of manna. And they murmured about not having flesh to eat. Discontentment leads to murmuring, which leads to disobedience, which leads to disease. At the mount where they made a golden calf of worship, they drank burnt gold dust. 3,000 men were slain. The Lord plagued the people after that. And upon the rebellion of Korah, the earth opened up and swallowed them up. A fire consumed 250 men that offered incense. Numbers 21.4 says, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, for there is no bread? That's a lie. Neither is there any water. Yeah, we're given water. That's a lie. And our soul loatheth this light bread. Your food stinks, God. Discontented people. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. God would eventually kill off this generation in the wilderness because of their discontentment. But there was a few that were different ones. Ones who would be content with such things as they have and seek godliness. They had their eyes on God. They weren't worried about food. You know, it's kind of like, Brother Mike, you'll know this. You, you might bring a young kid up to work with you. 
<laughs> a lot of times all they could think about, and I remember being like this when I was young, all I could think is about our next drink of water, getting off of this wall. Uh, you know, what are we having for lunch? You know? But when you get to working, that's just a necessary thing you got to stop and do because it's stopping you from your work. And that's the purpose of it. You're not laying out to have fun and enjoyment and then, oh, dread back. No, you're going to work. You just have to eat. And sometimes you don't have to. You can just work through it, man. Oh, I ran off and now I lost my place. God killed off the generation because of their discontentment but a few different ones. Let's look at the health of these men. Joshua was endowed with the strength and health to lead the people into battle in the conquest of Canaan and lived many years. Caleb, I want you to listen to this about Caleb. Joshua 14.6 Then the children of Judah came up, came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. His heart was, man, we can do this because God's behind us. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Man, we can't do this. God's not big enough is what they're saying. He said, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever. Just caught that, forever. Because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold... The Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these 40 and 5 years. So he's talking about the 40 years and the 45 years. How's your math? 40 plus 45 equals. Okay, we'll see if the scripture is right here. Even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day four score and five years old. What's the score? Four score and five. Eighty-five. As yet, now we're talking about health here. As yet, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. Brother Mike, your knees were aching, <laughs> your back was hurting. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that? As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mount. Whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in the day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. Talk about health. Talk about being content with such things you have. Talk about giving your life to God and putting your focus there. It's a healthful way. Moses, Deuteronomy 34, 7, and Moses went a, was 120 years old. <laughs> when he died, his eye was not dim. Um, you see what I got. I see what Brother Mike got, and you, you guys are on your way to him. 
His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. Discontentment is unhealthy. It leads to bad habits and poor disciplines. Contentment leads to good habits and good disciplines. Contentment leads to health, but contentment leads to another thing. Point number two, contentment leads to wealth. Now let's be clear here. Spiritual wealth is not necessarily physical wealth. God may call us to a state of poverty, a state of middle income, or a life of affluency. Now, Proverbs is a general statement when generally followed produces a general result. Solomon wrote this, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Now I got it all. Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of the Lord my God in vain. Now this tells us of the tendencies of those who have little or much wealth. The tendency is to distance themselves from God through different forms of sin. But the man in the middle, income, is the one who is right with God and has said that he asked for food that's convenient for him. What is convenient food? I'm just going to tell you. It's the food of contentment. That the things that's, uh, that I'll only be content with. But the writer of Hebrews lays down another principle in Christ to follow, a principle to not look at the things of others, to not covet after them, to not look at what you have as a measure of contentment. Now, I want you to listen to this. Not look at what you have and decide if you're contentment, but contentment is the measure of what you have. In other words, what you have, you're to be content with. That's where contentment is. What, whatever you have, it's contentment. Hebrews 13.5, let your conversation be without covetousness. You know, covetousness is wanting. You know, I believe all sin starts with that, covetousness, wanting something else. That's a bad spot to be in. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It goes back to, you know, Caleb and those guys. He said, it really doesn't matter. I never heard them complain about water or food or anything. But you had them going after God. See, that was their life was God. And whatever they had, was, that was they're content with. And it was very little. Following our text in 1 Timothy chapter 6-9, we see the root of evil, the love of money. It's not money itself. It's the love of money and going after it. We live in a materialistic world, in a consumerist culture, a culture that is wanting to take every penny it can from whoever it can. It's an endless, pointless thing of life. It works every angle of the weak-minded to addict them to the pleasures of the world. Their marketing is to produce, listen to this, what they're going to do is produce discontentment in you. That you don't have what you really need. You really need this. You really need this. It's never ending, folks. 
they produce that, they'll get you to buy what they have. If you cannot be content with the simple things of life, you are on a road to financial disaster and addiction. You don't realize how addicted people we are. We just talk about people with drugs and addiction. We have other addictions. An addiction to the things to give you the next high. That's what that is. Never ever satisfied. Requiring a bigger high until it financially will ruin you. 1 Timothy 6, 9, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, there's that coveted word, going after it, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. As children in the wilderness, that first generation of 40 years, they died in that. You know, there's a financial consultant that comes on the radio, gives a brief financial revelation, and he tries to give a resolve of it. And he made this statement that records show that those making six-figure salaries, a great majority of them live paycheck to paycheck. Why? Because they keep raising, it says they keep raising their life, their living standards to what they make. They make more, they just buy more. You see how that goes? The devil wants to take everything from you. He'll, he'll do that. Many of those who win the lottery in a short time spend it all and end up penniless not too long afterward. Maybe probably in worse condition than they were before they won the lottery. Contentment is a mindset to wealth. Financially, it says, you know, I could afford a Lexus, but all I need is a way to get back and forth to work so I can be content with a, some type of commuter car. I could go out for lunch every day at work, but I just bought a jar of peanut butter and jelly and bread. Now, I've just done this, and I really like it, man. You know, sometimes we let the world tell us what we like. No, I like peanut butter and jelly. It's one of my favorite things, man. I used to eat like six or eight of those things when I was a, I'm serious, when I was a teenager, man, I would, I'd go up against, was it Joey Chestnut? The peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I think I could beat him. He's the guy who eats all the hot dogs, you know. Uh-oh, got off again. Got off of my <laughs> You know, and also, I don't have, it saves me time and gas going out to eat. I'm content with this, you know. You'd be surprised how, how you've let the world tell you what is good and what is bad. And when it's sitting right there and you can get it a lot easier and cheaper. Contentment leads to health, contentment leads to wealth, and contentment leads to wisdom. So here is the wisdom. Contentment will lead us to, A, a focus on eternity. To not waste our life, our time, on meaningless things of life that pass away, that rust, that just go away, that you can't take with you. It focuses on relationships. Now, I'll just tell you, it's one of the things I love about my wife. She can spend, but she really does. She's always like spending on somebody else to make something. She enjoys relationships. She's got a right heart in that. She focuses on relationships. 
We should especially focus on our relationship with God, obviously. Ought to be primary. But our spouse, our children, and church family, the most worthwhile things in life are those relationships in those areas right there. We waste a lot of time in relationships outside of those. It focuses also, here's wisdom, on giving. The most rewarding and powerful thing you'll ever find in life is the ability to give. Finally, contentment makes the most room for the greatest gain that can not only be the most fulfilling things in life here, but also provides the greatest deposits of wealth laid up for us in heaven. That's wisdom. You can, at the end of the day, when you're buried in that grave, everything you've done, there's going to be so much that means nothing. There is going to be penniless people going to heaven, but you can, you can move things ahead into heaven for eternal for eternity that's wisdom folks this life is this big we've got a millennial reign coming that's a thousand years that's going to happen on this earth to give you some perspective that's just what we'll be for eternity starts now we spoke about the scripture in first timothy 6 7 that says for we brought nothing into this world and as certain we can carry nothing out this refers to all the material things we gather. Can't take it with you. It's done. You used it, it's done. But the scripture does say that there are things we can take to heaven that are spiritual. Our Lord, our Lord Jesus said this, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's wisdom, folks. Contentment is the path for eternal treasures. It is contentment that makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise, with heads bowed and eyes closed, pianists coming to play. I hope God has spoken to your heart and life. Hey, we get off. It's easy. We're human beings. God says, build a church, put a preacher up there, yell at him. Do you got it, folks? Don't mess it up. You need, you're going to need to have contentment building your home. This is, hey, this is a world that's wanting to steal it. Nothing, I'm not a things, I mean, we need to have some nice things. There's purposes in that, and you know, we don't deserve it. God gives it to us. But that isn't, shouldn't be our heart. That's not where our heart should be. take vacation so that we come back and serve God better. Or, 
if we got our heart wrong, we take vacations till we can have the next vacation, the next bigger vacation. We can have the, the next hunt and then the next bigger hunt. And it, if it just keeps going like that, you've got a problem, folks. You're going to find out that the simple things in life, when you, when you take all the things you like to do and you love to do and you boil it and just boil it down and boil it down like like a pot of water, you can boil it all down, there'll be some calcium at the bottom. There's all that's left, what the minerals that was in that water. When it boils down, you know what life is? People, spending time with them, enjoying them, encouraging them, seeing God, knowing God better than we did the day before, following Him, knowing we have a home in heaven. That's there's where life is. Thank you, Abby, for filling in today. I hope the Lord spoke to you in a good way and encouraged you in your life, man. I think about that inheritance. You know, I was just, that just, the Lord just kind of showed me what that inheritance, you know, that's incredible. We got everything. You got everything. You got everything. You got everything. If you're saved, if you're a born-again child of God, your inheritance, you will have everything with Christ. It's immeasurable, wonderful. It can't be divided into pieces. That's, as Mike says, you know, that some of that stuff just goes, whoa, but that's our God. Man, get on that track of who God is. Like David did, man, he looked up in the stars. He found courage to fight a lion and a bear because he knew who God was. Encourage you to know him, how big he is, how great he is. And the things of earth will go strangely to him. You won't want that. You want him. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for all who've come here this morning, Lord, to encourage their hearts and their lives. In Jesus' name.